Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome to another episode of Restore the Floor with Evan Jenkins. I'm Stoney and uh, Ev. Pistons season, thankfully over. They won just 17 games for a variety of reasons. Injury, youth, whatever. Uh, decision was made. Dwayne Casey will not be back next year. They have to go get a, a, a new well, coach. Well, as a head coach. He's head back coach. with the team. Correct. Uh, and uh, speaking of which, we're lucky to have Dwayne Casey as our guest on this episode of Restore the Floor. All right, joining us now is the former, and it sounds weird to say, the former head coach of the Detroit Pistons, Dwayne Casey. How are you, sir? Welcome to Restore the Floor. Thank you, Sonia. I'm excited to be on your show. And that former part, is uh, I was at the uh, doctor's office a few minutes ago, and they said uh, Coach Casey. So it sounded funny, but... uh, (laughs) I'm going to have to get used to it. Yes. All right. Let's look look back a little bit about the tenure. Obviously, when you took the job, fresh off of being a coach of the year in Toronto, they let you go unceremoniously after you know losing uh, to LeBron in the playoffs. If my memory is correct, you come here. You got Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, and I remember you know we used to discuss. Uh, well, they're not championship material. Maybe it's better that they don't try to make the playoffs. And you had to convince. The media, the fans that making the playoffs was a good thing. In retrospect, hindsight always twenty twenty. Was it the right thing, or should you guys have done this restore thing maybe a year earlier? No, Sonia. I think you know at that time Blake is still very healthy. We're well, not very healthy, but healthy. Uh, Drummond was still playing at a high level. Reggie Jackson was playing at a high level. So the experienced players we had. You know, they they really were competing and playing, and you never want to, in that situation with veteran players, say, hey, it's better not to make the playoffs. It, in that situation, it was the right thing to do. They were competing, playing hard, and we had intentions of next year doing the same thing except health. Uh, you know, Blake had his surgery after the season, and health stepped in. So it was, you know, it was the right thing to do at that time. And then it became apparent that just health and contract situations to extend certain players, uh, go all in with that group where we were just 500 and, and barely squeaked into the playoffs at that time. What, what do you do? So as an organization, we made that decision to, to, uh, to, to start, start over and, you know, Troy, you know, took it down to the bare bones as far as the team was concerned with all young players and a couple of veteran guys to kind of fill in. But 
you know, it was the right thing to do at that time. Now, Coach, how do you go about – now, you have a lot of young players on this team. How do you go about coaching a, a winning mindset into these players? Because I know I can't be like, how do you teach them to win other than, you know, winning on the floor. But the mental aspect, you know, you have a young man in, in, in um, Cade Cunningham who didn't win a national title at Oklahoma State, and the same with Jay Nivey and, and Duran. And how do you teach that winning mindset for the NBA? Well, one thing we have to do is the fact that uh, when you're teaching young players in the NBA, and I, we did the first thing in the couple, first couple of years in, in Toronto with a very young team, was to teach winning plays. you got to teach players to make winning plays, and you're exactly right. You can't teach players how to win, but you can teach them winning plays. Now, uh, and to be, to be able to do that on a consistent basis, now that's up to the young men to go out there on the court and do it and, and go through it. And, uh, but making winning plays, whether it's defensive decisions, offensive decisions, offensive places to be, those, you know, those things are what you teach. And, and ultimately they, they will teach the team how to win. Uh, but uh, that's the only thing you can really do is you know, teach them what it takes to win in the NBA, the plays it takes to win, uh, uh, and also the mindset that you have to win. Now, the last thing that comes around is actually winning, which is very difficult to do for first and second and third-year guys on your roster that are your main guys. But um, that's what we did the last three years is really work on teaching um, to, to make the right plays. And, and, and defense is always a problem. I know you know we disagreed about. I thought I thought you know the defense maybe that that's on you, but maybe the, the the better way to say it is the defensive, you know, strategy or whatever somehow got lost in transition to that translation to them, and they were just too young to figure it out. Because I look at Houston and even Orlando to a lesser extent now because they've gotten a little better. But the you're right. The young teams are the teams that are the worst defensively, right? Well, you know, unless Pop has gone brain dead, they were right behind <laughs> us, right, right before us. So, uh, believe me, I promise you, Stoney, I, I think we were number two, or we, I know we we're in the top five two or three years in a row in Toronto. So, the philosophy that I used and we, we went with is the same philosophy. The, the trends offensively were the same. This is the offensive, uh, you know, trend right now. The league is really predicated on outscoring people. So, the switching, uh, the the double switching, and all the things that we did there are still relevant now. And the heart, like you said, everyone thinks, okay, offense. No, it's the defensive uh, decisions, uh, things you have to do anticipate what's about to happen to you on the defensive end are things that you really, really have to, to, to hone in on as a young player and be ready for. And that is a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to figure out. And on top of all that, Stoney, is to do it without fouling. And I think that's something that, you know, was the last to come around. We still haven't done a good job of, of really getting our guys to, to really compete defensively, be physical. And, oh, by the way, you have to do it without fouling. Do it with your feet, feet and chest, not reach in with your hands. And so those are the things that, uh, you know, and I admit we, it didn't translate well the last couple, a little bit last year, I think we moved up into the, the teens, but this year when we added even younger players, uh, it went the other way and we didn't do a good job. And, uh, uh, you know, I, if, if to blame is to be had, as you said, it's on, on me, but I promise you, uh, 
uh, it, it's something that's very difficult for young players to to pick up and I would use the word anticipate defensively against today's offensive players because one thing today, the offense today is probably the most sophisticated in any time I've been in the NBA. Guys have gotten so good how to trick you, how to shoot, their skill level. Everything is is going up in today's uh, NBA because there's so much training, there's so, so much skill work in the summertime. Uh, the offense today is is off the charts. So, so in saying that, maybe a different topic, but uh, because you brought it up, are because t- the old guys like myself and you're just a, a little older than me, but we always go back to you know Jordan in those days. Are, are today's players are probably athletically at least better than they were in the quote unquote glory days that we grew up with, and you coached I would, against. I, I would say, Stony, the skill level. Skill level, so today, guys, you know, spend a lot of money in the summertime. We spend a lot of money, a lot of time working with guys' skills, working with the ball handling, working on passing, working on three-point shooting, all those things. And one thing that probably the last thing uh, we work on is the defense, the team defense, because you're not allowed to work together as a team in the summertime. But, uh, you know, the, the skill level today versus back when I came in the league in the early 90s, is off the charts. Probably if Jordan had the same resources, the same mindset, the same rules that you have today that really favors the offensive player, there's no telling how guys like he would have been, how many points he would have scored, how many points a guy like uh, Dr. J would have scored. It's unreal that, uh, you know, to see how those guys would have been in today's offensive mindset and at the skill level guys are today because, again, Jordan wasn't a great three-point shooter, but I'll tell you, if the three-point game was emphasized at the time he was coming through, he would have been a great three-point shooter. Now, that that really intrigues me you saying that, okay, because the game has changed so much where it's a pick-and-roll game and you have to choose whether you want to go over or under these screens and whether or not you want to switch on them. But my question is, coming from college, how much mm-hmm. difference – is there in the defense that you play in college? Because you're not going to see is as many elite scores as there are in the NBA compared mm-hmm. to the defense you need to play in the NBA. And that transition to make, is it is it a hustle thing? Is it an effort thing? Or is it just knowing where you are on the floor compared to the player that's in front of you? That's a great point. One thing, there's so many decisions uh, that you have to make defensively. And you just said a couple of them. All right, who am I guarding? Do I go under, go over? And all this has to be processed in a, in a split second. All right, and now when the ball is really coming down in transition and the whole philosophy of the NBA is how quick can I get a shot up? How quick? Because all the numbers, all the analytics tell you that the highest percentage, highest points per possession happen in the first 10 seconds of the shot clock. So you, you're fighting that. So all your defensive decisions – have to be made at a really breakneck speed. And because if you don't, the ball's already gone up and, and the other team is scoring against the elite offensive teams. So there's, that's, that's the first decision. All right, the next decision, all right, if I'm off the ball, all right, where's my positioning? Where, what's my footwork and where's my placement on the weak side? At the same time, I can't go in too early because of the three-second defensive rules. So all those things are have to be processed at a high speed over and over and over again. And it will it takes 
a lot of the college players when they first come in, the, the most of the probably three quarters of the season, most of the season before they get all those pieces put together. Now on the basketball, I have to get into the basketball, get contact without fouling to avoid the screen. So all the nuances in the NBA are different than they were in the in college basketball. The speed of the game, the strength of the players you're going against. All those things are, are multiplied once you come into the NBA out of college. And, again, now you're also dealing with, you know, social media. There's no glamour in getting all the defenses things right. You're, but there's glamour in getting the three-point shot up or making the beautiful offensive play. So all those mindsets, the mentality, the psychology, uh, and the speed of everything coming in, uh, it has to be factored into a young player coming into the NBA versus being a, uh, being in college where the shot clock, uh, you make multiple passes, uh, the teams are not co- trying to come down and score at such a fast pace. Now, I feel like in today's game, some players view their three-point shot as a layup. Like, they're gonna more likely to take that three than they are a layup. What is your philosophy? I know growing up, I'm a, I'm a 40-year-old man now, so when I was in high school, it was a long time ago. You don't mm-hmm. follow a shooter. What is your mm-hmm. philosophy on trying to block a shooter nowadays? Because that's more likely to happen, in my opinion, than a layup. Well, the, the the thing that we we teach, I teach, my philosophy in shooting the three, yes, because all, and again, I'll say this, probably 10 years ago or my first couple of years in Toronto, I really followed analytics. I really, I was, okay, now why are we shooting this three when we have a big man inside to get it into the post up? And so I was convinced by all the analytics, and we went from like probably bottom in the NBA to top five in the NBA and offense because of con- conforming and going, being disciplined with our shot selection and shot quality. I call it the shot spectrum, which is one, the free throw, or the layup, getting to the rim. The next is the free throw, then the corner three, then above the break three. So being disciplined in those shots and then making those shots really vaults you up into that. Uh, now, as far as defending the three-point shot, that is a, a, one of the cardinal sins, and there's a technique to that. And, again, that's something that young players have to learn. When you are guarding a three-point shooter, the philosophy is closing out, going right to right, avoiding contact. Again, the, the offensive players in the NBA are so sophisticated where they have the, the feel and the understanding of the slight movement of coming in your path to draw the foul or even – extending your arms where they make contact with your arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you really have to be precise in your closeout, in your in your challenge where you don't foul a three-point shooter. And then, by the way, you can't land in his landing space because today is called reckless closeouts. It's, you're not allowing that shooter to come down in that spot. So all those things are learned behavior, learned techniques that you have to have in the NBA now, you got some older players that still are struggling with those new rules. So uh, you have to challenge the shot because again, there's analytics to show if you don't challenge versus challenge a, a three-point shot, they're totally you have to get out and challenge. But again, understand who I'm, what this guy's habits are as far as closing out into your space uh, and all those tricks that those guys have uh, as a three-point shooter. 
you've you've coached guys like Gary Payton, Kyle Lowry, a, a lot of really good guards. How mm-hmm. good? I mean, I know it's so early, and he lost a season basically. Mm-hmm. What is the the pinnacle you think for Cade? Is he is he multi All Star potential? Is he going to be that good? Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Yeah, yes, he is. Kate can be a multi-all-star uh, as a player. He ranks up there with those guys at their same stage. The The problem is I, you remember guys like Gary Payton and Kyle Lowry and even now Fred Van Vliet, who I had as a point yeah. guard. I had Jason Kidd in, in, uh, yeah. as an assistant coach in, in Dallas. So those guys were seasoned. They knew every trick. They knew every nuance. They knew every position you had to take defensively where Cade has to learn those things. Those things are, are, are the difference makers in uh, uh, being an all-star or being an average player. And Cade has the basketball IQ. He has the basketball IQ that, uh, that will allow him to learn those things. 
He has all the the skills, uh, the length, the size, uh, the the demeanor, all the pieces that you have to have. The one thing he doesn't have is that experience. And this year, he's going to have to make it up to get to learn those things to go through the fire. Uh, but he does have the the intellect and the the know how and the IQ to be as good as those guys are. Uh, and again, health is so important. But uh, I, I'm going to bet money on Cade can be a multi-time All-Star, uh, you know, once he gets back and gets into the groove of the NBA. What, what about Killian? I know it, he came in as a 19-year-old from Europe. It takes mm-hmm. time. I remember last summer Troy said he needed to be Americanized a little bit in the summer. He had moments mm-hmm. this year by the times he regressed. Is he just going to be a guy, or do you think that, you know, maybe not here or somewhere else, he might have potential to be a really good player. Killing has the potential. Like Killing, uh, you know, he's much maligned. Uh, you know, he, and again, it, it, probably unfairly, uh, we probably tossed him into the starting lineup, you know, but, but again, we were in a situation of a rebuild, of throwing him in there. I think Blake was still here at the time when he was a rookie uh, and probably wasn't ready for it, but it, it, we threw him in the, to the deep end. As an organization, we decided to do that. And, you know, again, it, it, believe it, it's probably helped him more. I think the real Killian, we, he, we show, he showed, uh, the first part of the year, he was shooting the ball well, playing with a swagger. Uh, that's the Killian that he's got to be, that, that type of guy shooting the three at a high percentage. Um, and, uh, you know, he went into a little slump after. And then these, the last couple of weeks, he kind of bounced back. So, Finding that consistency as a third-year guy in the league at the probably the toughest position in the NBA is what he's got to do. He has all the skills. He's a big, strong kid. Uh, he's just got to get that uh, the calluses of the NBA of not listening to all the noise, playing through adversity, playing through a missed shot or a bad play on one end uh, is going to help him tremendously because uh, he's a smart kid. He's he's probably the best passer that we have. On, you know that we have on the team, and the new coach will figure out a way to continue to get him to the next level. Uh, and again, I, I think that uh, that would be be good for Kill to, to to hear a new voice, to hear somebody else tell him the same thing. I think what's going to help him too is get a feel, uh, like we talked about Jason Kidd and those other guys of getting the nuances of the league, of driving into the paint, creating contact, getting the body body hits. Of um, of really, and then finishing at the rim, all those things will will help him get in the nuances. But most of all, just father time to continue to play. Uh, I've seen so many people give up on so many young players that go off and go look at Chauncey Billups. How many times was Chauncey Billups traded and yep. maligned before he made it? So uh, again, I would be careful of everyone giving up on a kid like Killian. Uh, you know, because he could be, you know, not saying he's going to be like Chauncey Billups, could be like a Chauncey Billups situation where you just give up on him and uh, too quick. All right, let's go to the Wayback Machine. I was out in your old stomping grounds at the end of February in in, in Seattle, and I walked into uh, Sean Kemp's uh, place of business, the cannabis store, and just watching, seeing the, the posters and all that kind of stuff. And uh-huh. I look back at the team that you were an assistant coach with, with him and Shrimp and, and the glove and Nate McMillan. Nate, I mean, that, I mean, lo, lo, you lost to Jordan, obviously, in the finals. 
What was Sean Kemp? We thought was going to be, and he still was a superstar. What was that like? And yeah, I know you're still friendly with him, right? Yeah, no question. And again, the the thing is, Tony, I've been friend. I've known Sean since he was, I think, a sophomore in high school. I was coaching at Kentucky, and uh, the the coach up there had worked our basketball camp at Kentucky and said, "Look, uh, Dwayne, I've got this young kid. You might want to come look at." And lo and behold, it was Sean. And, I mean, he was doing things at that age. I mean, putting the ball on the floor, making plays, going coast-to-coast, dunking on people. Uh, Probably his jump shot was probably still a little raw at the time, but you could see where he had the great touch that would just repetition would help. So started recruiting him like a sophomore in high school and finally got him in Kentucky. But at that time, it's good old Prop 48 you know, where he didn't have the ACT scores to get in and to qualify to play as a freshman. So he had to sit out that year. So I've I've known Sean through thick and thin through college. He left Kentucky as a a, – right at the mid-year with some academic problems and situation, and then he transferred to junior college. And he didn't even play at the junior college. He went straight from high school basically to the NBA in a year. Uh, through Kentucky and through the junior college. And uh, and the growth he had is unbelievable. You're talking about a guy that could dunk. We, we think about Dern right now, how powerful he is as a dunker. And you had, you multiply that probably times three with Sean. <laughs> the rain now, man. The rain man. He would bring it down and over people and through people and, and that type of thing. So my relationship with him goes back and watching him grow and become an NBA player in the years in the NBA, uh, you know, to go against a guy like Jordan, you know, we, he and I laughed about it a lot. And the fact that I remember you was going against <laughs> Elkhart high school versus, you know, uh, the Catholic school down the street. Now you're going against Michael Jordan in the NBA finals. So, uh, but uh, his talent was off the charts as, as you know, he was coming through the league. Now, Coach, you mentioned when you were at Kentucky, but I want to talk about your playing days at Kentucky for a moment because when you search Dwayne Casey, there's this Internet site called Wikipedia, right? (laughs) And I'm just curious, how much did Dwayne Casey wish that there was NIL going on when he was playing? Because according to this, during the summers, you were working as a coal miner and a tobacco Uh farmer. So you wouldn't have to do that today. No question. I and on top of all that, I think I spoke in every county across the state of Kentucky. I, w- I think that, you know, anybody that called for a Kentucky player to come speak to their Qantas Club or Chamber of Commerce or high school banquets, I think Coach Hall uh, at that time, I was on a speed dial to Dwayne, we have a speaking engagement for you to go to. So I would go and speak at different schools. And, yeah, I did work it. As a matter of fact, it was Coach Hall's farm where I would – cut tobacco, hang tobacco, and get all the tobacco juice in your eyes. And then I worked for Island Creek Coal Company after my freshman year and made enough money to buy myself a used Monte Carlo, Chevrolet Monte Carlo, and thought I I was rich and thought it was the coolest thing in the state of Kentucky at the time. So the NIL has changed sports so much, guys. And I don't know if it's, I don't think anyone knows whether it's for the good or for the bad. Uh, you know, we'll see. I just see a lot of guys decommitting from schools and mm-hmm. young men at Michigan, young men at Michigan State just on a whim say, okay, I want to go leave school. 
So what life skills are we teaching these young men to, you know, to, okay, it's okay to give up. If things get hard, okay, I can go across the street and go somewhere else to school at the drop of a hat. But by the way, uh, my first car was a yellow Monte Carlo. It was a hand-me-down for my cousin. But, did you have the yeah. swivel seat? Yeah. Did you have, you had the swivel, I had the swivel seat, the eight-track player. The, the whole nine yards. No, I didn't have the swivel seats. But, uh, but. I had the swivel seats. <laughs> Coach, I'm, so. I'm, I'm curious about NIL, just that you mentioned. Now, I know it's new in the game. Have you noticed mm-hmm. a difference in the players that have come into the league that have received NIL? The only reason I ask that is because college players before, they were hungry to get that first right. paycheck from right. the NBA. Right. Has that changed the humbleness in some of these guys at all that you have noticed? That's a great uh, – again – we don't know. I mean, you see it, you feel it. Uh, young players come in the league is not as grateful, not as humble, which, okay, to, that's okay, too. you got to have an air of confidence, an air of, of uh, lack of humility to be successful in the NBA because if you don't, it's not, not for boys. It's not for, for soft at heart. So you like that. But, Again, that's going to be something I think we all have to look at, and as part of, of I don't know, we don't know, they don't know the impact of this new NIL stuff. Uh, does it make guys less hungry coming into the NBA? Uh, does it make guys stay in school maybe a year earlier, which I'm all in, for, uh, in favor of? Because mm-hmm. I think you know it, they need to stay to, to stay to be ready mentally to be ready physically, to be ready basketball-wise or football, whatever the, the sport is, there's nothing that can replace that extra year to get ready. Now, I know it's good for our league to get, get superstars in early, but there's a very few of those guys that are ready to step in and not use that first year as a developmental year, which is okay, too. Uh, but uh, I, I think that uh, the NIL is going to have so many impacts on sports uh, whether it's on our level here in the NBA or, or whatever the professional sport they're going into, uh, or uh, uh, have have a huge impact on on college consistency and and um, you know the the lack of of continuity of going you know year to year going a year here at Michigan a year here at, at Kentucky a year here at uh, UCLA I don't know how that builds that young man and helps him as a as a person or as a player. All right, I got three quick questions. Just need one word or two word answers, real quick. Uh, who would win, uh, Bad Boys or the O four team? <laughs> man, I would say Bad Boys. Okay, um, the typical LeBron Michael. Who you'd rather have? Coached against both. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. But you had two sets of rules, though. You I know. Two, you had two sets of rules. Uh, you know, I have to say this would have qualified. If you put Michael Jordan in today's game where you couldn't touch him, unbelievable. And I, I have to say Michael Jordan and, you know, with with LeBron a close second because LeBron, it, he, he, he impacts the game in so many ways. He's so big. He's so strong. He so he became so skilled. Now he wasn't skilled coming into the league, but he put so much work in that he became a great ball handler, a great passer, a great you know a, a mid-range three-point shooter, you know above-average three-point shooter. Where you can't say that about Mike because he didn't have to. The rules weren't the same. So I think you have to measure that. But 
I would say Michael Jordan, and knowing his work ethic, how he would have adapted to the day, today's rule. All right, final thing, who wins the 2023 NBA championship? Whoa, that's loaded. I would say <laughs> an East Coast team. All right. <laughs> How about that? That's good. Milwaukee or Boston? Or yeah. My yeah. Philly, my Philly yeah. team, they're not going to do it. They always screw up at the end. I'm they have to be in the hunt, though. You have to talk about them. I know. Beat, of course. I know. He, he's, he, one of those three teams I think will will have the hand up uh, to win the championship. It's hard to believe it's been forty over 40 years since the Sixers won with uh, Moses <laughs> and that team. Yeah. Uh, yep. Dwayne, thank you very much. And thanks for always being, you know, a class act through all. It's tough to, to coach a team like this for all these times, putting up with us. And uh, we really appreciate it. We'll talk to you down the road because I know you're still in town. And uh, you're a pleasure. Yep. You're a class act. Thank you very much. Thank you, Stoney. Thank you, Evan. I appreciate you guys uh, putting up with me and, and going through these three years. But I promise you, it's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. We sure hope so. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Dwayne. Thank you, guys. Okay, buddy. Yeah. Uh, okay.